0: Somebody asked if we were long lost friends because we seemed to connect so quickly when I came here. I said I'd never met him before, but God does have something with kindred spirits, I think. I appreciate our pastor greatly, I appreciate his willingness to allow me to stand before you. I have stood here many times before, but every time is an honor, every time is a privilege to be able to communicate the gospel. We're going to kick off, Emily's going to help me this morning. Emily, my daughter, I never wanted. Um, (laughs) The Harrington girls are that to me because Kim and Doug just had a way of, like, they just find a way to, like, get into your life and you can't get rid of them. It's like one of those things, you know, we're good friends and so Emily's going to help us and kick us off this morning.
1: I got to got a big butt. It's gigantic, if I'm going to be blunt about it. And you know what, the funny thing is, i got several big butts. And and, and before you you discard me or, or wince at the disgusting notion of that, I'm going to go out on a limb here and suggest that possibly you have at least one big butt as well. Yeah, you like that? Hurts a little, huh? Let me tell you something. Let me just tell you something, okay? Everybody we know has a big butt. And more often than not, it's the thing that actually gets in the way of us living a consistent life for Jesus. I think you know what I'm talking about. I'm going to expound a little bit, okay? See if you can recognize some of these butts. But I have to work more. But my favorite TV show is on. But my kids have practice. But i got to tweet something. But it's such a beautiful day. But I'm just not in the mood. But I deserve a break today. You see, everything kind of interferes with my life of, of just living an authentic life for God, okay? And more often than not, it always has something to do with some sort of butt, okay? Even the littlest of butt can distract me. It really can. The littlest butt can make me think, well, I'm not gonna pray today. I'm not gonna think about it today. I'm not gonna deny myself. I'm not gonna read the Bible, blah, blah, blah. Whatever God asked me to do, I seem to have a butt for it and get away, okay? And the most horrendously big butt of all time is the butt that gets in the way of me just hanging out with God and reading his word. It's true, think about it. All the times you're about to open that and all of a sudden a big giant butt gets in the way, a butt. Much like one of these. But I got a farm bill. But I'm tired. But the game's over. But I read last Tuesday. But I gotta check Facebook. But I don't like Leviticus. But it's too hot in here. But I, I just don't like books. But I don't understand it. But it's boring. But what does that have to do with me in the 21st century? Those are some ugly butts, people. Says us call them what they are. Ugly. Ugly butts. Okay? And there's a lot more to them. Sad but true. Here's a list, although not exhaustive, of some of the most popular buts known to mankind. But I don't have enough money yet. But others will think that I'm a nerd if I carry the Bible. But they won't like me if I talk about Jesus. But I don't know if God will do what I ask. But I just can't get motivated. But I'm afraid. But I don't have all the answers. But the small group is the same night as Monday Night Football. But can I just let my life speak for itself? But I'm not happy. But that's not my gift. But that's the pastor's job. But I don't know how to pray. But I can't believe that. But I don't know where to start. But everybody else is having fun. Buts abound, friends. But 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 here a butt there a butt everywhere, a butt butt. okay? And, and, and the most overused butt of all time, but I just don't have enough time. Really? Oh, come on, we have a lot of butts. God has given us a real simple word. okay? If we learn it and we share it and we teach it and we live by it, then see God gets glorified, people benefit and then we get blessed. That's why we do what we do. That's the why behind the butt. okay And ultimately that's the whole point I'm trying to make here, my fellow butt lovers, is if your butt is bigger than your why, then your butt's too big. Okay, it's time to, metaphorically speaking, snap into a Slim gym. Okay, let's slap on some spiritual shape-ups and hit the road a little bit so we can just manage the butts a little bit. That's all we're trying to do. That's what we're talking about. Let's minimize the excuses. Let's shrink the butts. Shrink the butts. Say it with me. Shrink the butts. That's what we need to do. And you and I can do that together. We can conquer this. You and I can do it if we start the day, okay? I know we can. Let's just do it. No ifs, ands, or... Yeah.
0: think no, you can get it. I've had a recurring dream over my life about church. Uh, There was a time that we went to First Assembly, I think it's called Reach Church now. Um, And if you've ever been in their old building, when you walk in the vestibule foyer there in the old building, there's a gigantic stairway that goes up into the old sanctuary. And at the top of that stairway is another small stairway that goes into a big classroom. I spent many days in that classroom, being raised in Royal Rangers there, eventually teaching in Royal Rangers in Sunday School. We taught Sunday School in that room, and I have this recurring dream where I'm standing on that staircase talking to somebody in the church, and I use the word but, B-U-T-T, and uh, I'm called into the pastor's office and told not to use that word in church, in God's house. And, uh, so maybe I'm walking a fine line this morning, but we're, we're talking about the word B-U-T. This, uh, I, I think this, this uh, well, let, let me tell you another little story. Uh, the very first time I stood in the pulpit, it was a Sunday night, uh, youth night. So they, on youth nights back in the day when PD was here, the youth pastor got to speak. So push out the sacrificial lamb for the first time, you know. Get up here, nervous wreck. Woo. I didn't get nervous about much, but man, I was nervous that night. There's two times I've been nervous, preaching that first time and getting married to my wife. I was terrified when I walked through that door. Um, luckily, 30-some years later, I have it all figured out, so if you need any more advice. Uh, yeah. Man, Pastor kind of put the pressure on me. He's got the eight best messages coming up, and I got to lead off to that this week. That's a little pressure, but anyway... So, on Monday morning, come into the office, I'm, I'm feeling good about myself. It was a terrible message. I've listened to it since then. It was terrible. I'm sorry. I apologize to anyone, Miss Betty. I know you were here. Maybe the only one here. I'm sorry. But, P- PD calls me into his office and he said, uh, sit down, let's talk about your message from yesterday. So, I'm like, all right. He's going to critique me a little bit. He goes, uh, the only thing he says to me, he says, he said, David, if you, if you remember PD at all, David. Uh, you used this word yesterday in your message, and you shouldn't ever use it again in the church. Uh, I felt about that big walking out of his office that morning, but God bless him; he's my spiritual father. I feel like in so many ways. Uh, this video is a cute introduction to my topic this morning, but I, I really want to kind of go a different way he's talking about things that come between us and living the relationship that god has called to live but i want to talk about a a different uh way that the word but is used in the bible and probably the best way to just kick it off is let's stand together and read god's word together this morning we're gonna be in first corinthians chapter first first 15 or chapter 15 verses 1 through 10. emily will have it on the screen for us there's bibles in your pew If you don't know, you can download the Bible app on your phone. and Maybe you brought God's Word in here this morning, but let's read together. Paul tells us, Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something... That was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what has also been passed on to me. Christ Jesus died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, but some have died. And then he was seen by James, and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. But, whatever I am, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me, and not without results." For I have worked harder than any other apostle, but it was not I but God who was working through me by His grace. Father, we love You this morning. I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that You're the master craftsman that in literary form in po- poetry in in every aspect you crafted this word so that it speaks to us in a new and a genuine way every time we open it i pray god that for a moment this morning that we'd be able to set aside the things that distract us god that you would silence cell phones that you'd quiet minds i pray god that for just a few minutes this morning God we would be able to stare into your eyes as the word of God is communicated and may you do something in us God that maybe we weren't expecting this morning maybe we didn't see it coming but God may you change something in us this morning that we might never be the same again that we might have a but moment like Paul did that radically changes us we pray in Jesus name amen you can be seated Webster tells us that in its conjunction form, the word but contrasts everything that happened the moment before the word was used with everything that happens after it. When you think about Paul's life, what what a roller coaster that he was on. Man, he was like the, the chief of baddest people before this moment and after this moment. He was like the most on fire man of God that anyone had ever seen. All from a simple moment. The word but is used in transition. It's used as a transition word so many times throughout Scripture. And I would challenge us this morning that this word, this but word, B U T, is one of the most important words of the Bible. Three little letters, but one of the most biggest words. You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. It's been raining 40 days and 40 nights but I'm 100 years old and my wife is 95 but the Lord will pass through this land and strike down the Egyptians but and they put him in a tomb on Friday night but such a such a powerful word and, I, and I, risk, I risk losing you in this moment, but this morning I want you to turn to your neighbor and ask him, How big is your butt? Maybe you better know them pretty well to do that. Maybe they better be wearing the ring that you gave them to ask them that. Or maybe you better not if they are. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth trying to communicate the importance of the church living out the gospel That God had placed in them. I think today, some 2,000 years later, that's still the challenge for the church today to live out what God has placed in you and me. So often we get busy with the, the things that are important to us, and Paul's talking to a church that's struggling to figure out how to serve Christ in a culture that is counter Christ, a culture that is counter Christian. It may never be more true than it has been this moment. I just recently was promoted to postmaster at a little post office over by Lafayette. and There's four individuals in the post office. There's me, my clerk, a rule carrier, and then an assistant rule carrier. And uh, there's me, who believes in the gospel of Jesus Christ, raised in this church, Never really known anything else. Hasn't always lived like he should live at times and probably never will. Then there's my little clerk who I think she's just kind of lost. She just kind of doesn't know what to believe, doesn't know who's telling the truth and who's not telling the truth. My assistant real care let me know two days after I was there that she was a witch. She's a good witch. (laughs) According to her. I don't know the difference between them. Um, I don't know that she's put a hex on me yet, but if she is, joke's on her. I'm, I'm still okay. And then my other rule carrier, I believe, is an atheist through and through. Four different individuals in one little bitty office. We live in a, a culture that is counter Christ. That's not, that's not out of the norm. That is the norm. That's what we live in today. And Paul was speaking to a generation, to a church, that they were living this every day. And it's like he would be standing here today with you and I, talking the same language because we live in this very culture. Possibly the greatest task that faces the church today is to continue to truly impact our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one of the things that Paul reminds the church in his day is the simplistic importance of the gospel. It's one of the things that I'm so thankful in this church is it doesn't matter what we do it or how we do it. At some point, the gospel of Jesus Christ is being spoken in this place. The truth of His Word is being revealed. It should sound an alarm Through the church in this hour, we often lose the importance, get distracted from, become overwhelmed by the things that feel are important, when actually all we are doing is giving all of our energy to the things that are the least important. We need to look back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I want to remind you of the gospel and of the resurrection, which is the hope. Paul says, if, if you don't hold on to it and really believe in it, then it's like it never really happened. Not that God is going to take His grace away, but if we don't live it out, then what good is it? If you can walk by me in Walmart and not sense something different about me, have I failed? Should there be something on me that tells people that I'm different? It reminds me of a couple stories. One of a buddy in Louisiana, who he went to our church there at Crowville and when we got there, he had, we went over to their house and he took me out to his garage and showed me, I believe it was a 64 Chevy pickup that he had bought and he was in the process of, of restoring this pickup. I mean, this guy sunk everything. I mean, this, this truck, by the time he was, new, uh, was done, it looked like it was brand new, like it just rolled off the, the line in 64. It was gorgeous. He poured money, he poured time into it, and it, it really was a, a meticulous restoration. And of course, that's just a brief synopsis of all, everything that happened, the hundreds of hours of work, the, the skin knuckles, but what good would all that restoration be if he just left it in the garage and he never drove it anywhere? So often, that's like us with the gospel. God does something inside of us, and we hide it away, and we never ever show anyone about it. My grandfather had a 72 Plymouth Sport Fury, brand new. It was, I assume he bought it brand new, I don't know. By the time I was old enough to know what it was, it was in his garage. It was this green and yellow, it had green and yellow leopard print floor mats still in there. Brand new, still the brand new tires with the white wall. I mean, it was gorgeous. But I don't think it had 500 miles on it. Because literally, the only time he drove it was to the car washing back. What, what good is having something if you never, ever use it? And I think that's what Paul is trying to communicate to us. Paul says, listen, the gospel didn't originate with me. I think Paul was probably a little rock star for his time, don't you think? I think he was probably a little popular in the church. And Paul is here reminding his, office that, or his audience that the gospel didn't begin with him. It just flowed through him. Paul realized that he was just re-gifting God's grace. Uh, most of you know I've worked for the post office most of my life. Um, off and on, I've left several times. I, I may be the only person that's quit the post office four times and been rehired all four times. Um. But God's always had that there for me when I need it, when we weren't in full-time ministry. Um, well, I started out early in life as a letter carrier, and one of the things that I really liked as a, a letter carrier was the fact that my route was my family. I just always treated them like my family. I took care of them. I just I wanted to, to treat them with excellence, and so that's, that's what I did any time I had a mail route. And I had this one couple when I was delivering up in the Monticello area. They uh, they were uh, well. I say they were elderly, but I think they were my age at that time—the <laughs> age I am now. So, and they were they were struggling physically. They were both in wheelchairs, and um, so they didn't get around very well. And they were the first Amazon people before Amazon existed. I mean, literally, they got twenty packages every day. I just, it was inundated at their house. And so I, every day, would walk, pull into their driveway, get all their packages gathered together with their mail. I would walk up to their door, ring the bell, wait till they came to the door, carry the packages inside, and set them on a table for them. Did it every day, just because I felt like that was the service they needed, and so I took care of them. So some of you all may or may not, you're not supposed to, but I encourage you to, if that makes any sense at all. But you leave gifts for your mailman at Christmas time, thanking them for the job they did. Now, if you don't like your mailman, don't leave them bad gifts, okay? Um, but you get all kinds of stuff, right? And, and if you took care of your people, you took, they took care of you. I mean, when it was 900 degrees outside, some people just leave a cool bottle of water in the mailbox. That was wonderful. I had one little old lady who'd bring me out fresh, cold lemonade every day. I mean, it was just those little things, they, they, you appreciate that. And at Christmas time, they give you gifts and uh, make you snacks. And I'd always bring the snacks home and let the kids try them first to make sure they weren't poisoned or something <laughs> like that. Um, and so this couple, uh, the first Christmas I was with them, this couple gave me this humongous gift basket. I mean, it was the biggest gift basket I'd ever seen in my life. And. Man, you know how that makes you feel? It just makes you feel so good inside that somebody just recognizes you, appreciation. So I brought it home, and a couple days had passed, and Wendy was going through all the stuff I'd gotten that Christmas, and I I think this was pre-cell phone day, so I probably didn't find out until I got home. But uh, she goes, hey, you remember that gift basket that those people gave you? I was like, yeah. She's like, did you know everything in that gift basket's expired? And I was like, Seriously? Everything? She's like, yeah, everything, canned goods, everything, like, expired. So she goes, I also found a little card in the basket. I'm like, really, what did it say? She goes, thank you for your purchase at Twin Lakes Ford and, or Chrysler Dodge. I had been re <laughs> Everything I had done for these people, and they had regifted me a, an expired gift basket. Didn't make me quite feel as, uh, as special at that moment, right? But what Paul is talking about here is that we, as the believer, we get to re-gift the gospel in a much more rewarding way than what I was re-gifted. There is a cute little story from New Orleans when I was down there that a man came into the New Orleans area, three little girls had a lemonade stand, and so he pulled up and bartered with them what it would take to purchase all their lemonade for the day. Let's just say 25 bucks. So he gave them 50. The girls were so excited. They were getting his purchase ready for him. They had made $50. And uh, the man had one request before he left. He said, I want you to stay here the rest of the day and I want you to give this lemonade away for free to anyone that comes by. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Somebody else purchased the gift that we have. And we simply get to give it away to whoever we want, to anyone we come in contact with, because we didn't pay for it. We didn't purchase it. Jesus Christ purchased it. It's a gift. Paul reminds us that we truly have nothing invested in the gift of the gospel. We simply get to hand it out like lemonade purchased by someone else. Paul recounts to us that he was clotheslined by God very late in the process, and though at this point in first corinthians 15 he's 30 years into his butt experience paul knew the difference between the title that others gave him and what he really felt the emotions that ran through his own mind and the truth that he rehearsed in his spirit every day paul knew the truth about himself and it i think it always made him feel a little unworthy i can relate to that you know it Sometimes it doesn't matter that uh, how good things are going or no matter how well I'm hitting the checklist every day. You know, us Christians, we have a checklist, right? I read my Bible today. I prayed today. I made it through the day without cursing. I actually told my wife I love her. We have these little lists, don't we? Come on, don't look at me that way. You have a list too. I know you do. Because I do. And I think Paul... He, I, I get what Paul feels like he, here. He, so there's something that gnaws at you, even when you're doing everything right, that I don't deserve the things I've been blessed with. I don't deserve my wonderful wife. I don't deserve the three boys that my God gave me and that my wife gave me. I don't deserve my church family. I don't deserve the love of God. I'm unworthy of it all. And those are the emotions that Paul's expressing here that he's rehearsing in his mind when he hits verse 10. And Paul tells us that the grace he is operating in is a grace that changes you when he hits the word but. I was a chief Pharisee. I was a murderer. I was a persecutor. But then God knocked me down and radically changed me. How big is your butt? For Paul, it was pretty big. When Paul turned the corner, it was quite a corner. Paul says, I worked harder, hard, hard, harder than you all because I needed more grace than you all. I needed unmerited favor. I needed new mercies every day. I outworked them all because I outsend them all. Not so that God would love me, but because God loved me first. I broke a bottle of expensive perfume, the woman said, and anointed his feet, not, be, not to earn his love, but because first he loved me. I burst into the room, tears flowing down my fe- face, and washed his feet with my hair, not to earn the love that, he, that I needed, but because he first loved me. I stand here this morning a picture of grace and mercy, and the things I do is not because of what what I need from God, but it's because of what God has already done for me. We sent we had a celebration service for Wendy's mom this week. And Can I just tell you she she did so many things in her church that they didn't even know how to get into the church computer because she was the only one that had the church password. So last Sunday afternoon we spent a little bit of time trying to break into the church computer, which we did successfully do, thankfully, because she was she did so much for them. She was a tireless worker. She did so much for the kingdom of God. But she did that because God loved her first. We do what we do in the kingdom of God. Pastor stands here and preaches to you because, not because of what God can do for him or his family, but because God loved him first. And in that, we respond. That's what obedience is about. We respond with obedience because of what Christ does for us. I heard a minister once say that we each have our own unique salvation experience. In application to our thought process today, We each have our own unique but experience. It is Jesus' grace to just you. You know when we get in trouble? We get in trouble when we try to operate in someone else's grace. God did the things to you uniquely just for you. Operate in your own grace. God could have knocked Paul off of his horse before he ever killed one Christian, before he ever held the garments, when Stephen was stoned. But if he would have done it too early, would Paul have valued it too little? Operate in your grace. God has done the things in your life what needed to be done just for you. So again, I ask you, how big is your butt? Paul is saying to us that I did never feel worthy, but I was made worthy. And I won't waste time waiting on a feeling. Don't waste the grace of the season you are in waiting for a better season to get here. I didn't know this until I originally began studying for this message. But the oil that was used in the temple, and maybe I should have known this, but it was hand-pressed. There was probably a lot of things done by hand back in the day that, you know, that we take for granted today. And if I want oil, I'd used to go over here to the Bible Bookstore and get anointing oil, right? Stick it in the pocket, you're good to roll. But back then they hand-pressed the olives to create the oil to burn the lamps in the temple. Why did they hand-press it? They hand-pressed it to make sure there was no pulp so it would burn longer and brighter. Perhaps God does to us what they did to those olives to get the purest oil to flow from the purest place. Sometimes we need a little hand crushing. The message for us this morning is that I don't deserve to be what He's called me, but I am it. How big is your butt? Lord, help us not to waste the grace that You've given us, the common grace that is given to all men, to all creation, which is a reflection of Your loving kindness. For the saving grace that took away the penalty of our sins and affects our shame so that we... I know you. Will you stand with me this morning? This morning I want to challenge you. Perhaps this morning you've never, you're thinking to yourself, I've never had a butt experience. Everything to this moment is the same. I've never turned a corner. I've never had a moment that challenged me. Well, today can be that day. If you're in this place this morning and you've never experienced a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, today is that day. Jesus can change everything this morning. He can set you on a new road. And probably for most of us in here, we've had that experience before already. But how fresh is it in our mind? you know why you come to church every week? Just something you do? The Holy Spirit reminded me this morning as I was walking these halls out here, praying for the service, He said, said, David, you don't show up at 9 o'clock on every Sunday morning to pray. You don't walk these halls to sing and praise God on a normal Sunday morning. Where are you normally at? That's a challenge to me. See, maybe I've gotten a little bit too far away from my butt experience. Because God has something for each and every one of you that's so special. You can reach people in your neck of the woods that no one else can touch. Pastor will never be able to minister to them. He'll never be able to speak wisdom into their lives. But God has a moment for you to be able to do it. He's created you for that purpose. He has a challenge for you. He wants to remind you that He gifted you this gift for a reason. I want to close by reading a scripture this morning Ephesians chapter. 2 verses 4 through 10. We're back in Paul's neighborhood again and he's writing a letter to the church in Ephesus and he says, but God is so rich in mercy and He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of His grace and kindness toward us. As shown in all of us, has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this for it is a gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Jesus Christ so He can do the good things through us that He planned long ago. God created each and every one of you individually. He created you as a masterpiece. And He did that Because He loved you. Every head bowed in this place this morning. If you don't have a personal relationship with Christ this morning, I encourage you, this is the moment. It's a simple, simple request. Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me, O God. Remove anything that stands between me and you this morning. And then God, would you please come and just help me in everyday life. Will You come be my companion? Will You guide me and direct me? Will You teach me the things You want me to do, the things You want me to say, and the places You want me to go? And if you're like me this morning and you've just kind of lost sight of that moment when God changed everything for you, Father, for me this morning, I pray that You would Clear my mind and my heart and let my eyes see you in a new way this morning, God. Bring us back to our first love. Change my heart, I pray, oh God. And help us to be ready to communicate the gospel to those around us in the moments that you need us to do it, I pray today. In Jesus' name, God bless.